Welcome to the Disaster Tough Podcast, where we talk about emergency management by emergency managers. We share stories, lessons, and tips to help keep you moving forward. I am John Scardina, the host. I share my experience as a former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters over the past decade. I now lead a private emergency management firm called Doberman Emergency Management, that focuses on emergency planning, mitigation, and response. This podcast is brought to you by L3 Harris. L3 Harris is an amazing company. They provide communications for first responders all over the world. They created the Beyond Push to Talk app that allows your team to communicate between mobile devices and radios through encrypted lines, which makes it so much easier for the team. Even better, they are offering the Beyond app at no cost to agencies for a limited time. You have to check it out. L3Harris.com slash responder support or click on the show notes for details. Welcome back, everybody. It's John Scardina, of course. Today we have something really excellent on here. It's Nina DeCosmo. He's the president of public safety and professional communications with L3Harris. As you've heard the last several weeks, we've been promoting L3Harris because we love their Beyond app. We get to talk to them, see what they're doing behind the scenes. Nino has ample experiences that he can provide us. He has so many awards. He's been president of multiple organizations, of course, with L3 Harris, but he's also been with Honeywell, with Tritium. He has really grown throughout this career of looking at public safety from the side of developing new technology, so he can speak really well to that. You know, you might be a little confused. You say, hey, I've heard of Harris. I've heard of L3 Technologies. Well, you're right. L3Harris is the merger of equals, as they're calling it. We call it a unified command. They came together, developing amazing things together. They have approximately $17 billion in annual revenue, over 50,000 employees and customers in 130 countries, like really big organization that can speak to great things. Nino, thanks for coming on the show. John, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And congratulations to you. I mean, this podcast yours has really taken off. I think it's one of the leading podcasts on the planet for the subject matter. So congratulations. Great work on your side as well. So thanks for having us. Yeah, I mean, the key is for us to have experts come on the show. And when we have an expert like yourself, then that, you know, helps people understand from an emergency management perspective, almost like a learning module where they can come on here and they say, okay, what are the experts saying? How can I become more like that? Or how can I get new technologies uh, for emergency services. So it's perfect. Yeah, thanks for that. So let's just jump in. Uh, we talked about this merger. It happened about a year ago. Congratulations on that. Tell us a little bit more about L3Harris and that unified commander, that that mission now that L3Harris leads. Yeah, you know, it's been a great year. I mean, what, what a great combination of companies um, in defense, aviation, communications. I mean, just a communication leader. We got some great tech. And and so what the, what the merger did was brought together two companies. Harris was about six billion and, and six, seven billion and in L3 about about 10 or so billion. And right now I think in last year's fiscal year, we ended the year just over 18 billion with about 48,000 employees. And, and a significant portion of those are engineers. And so the amount that the kind of technology that we could bring together and offer well, not only to our federal customers, Department of Defense and, and global defense agencies across the globe, but into the commercial space through my business, PSPC, um, is, is fantastic. We've just got a, a lot of capability and competency now to work with. And, and that's also given us 
great opportunities to try to go get efficiencies and, and control our costs in the supply chain as well as on the product side to, to be able to offer innovations into our customer base in a way that we couldn't do before. So it's been a great year. It's been a good uh, learning opportunity for everybody involved on what the capabilities and competencies are. And now I think we're in a place where we can really start to see how we can bring some of those capabilities and competencies uh, to the marketplace. Um, you mentioned our Beyond application. We've got a lot of tech in the pipeline right now that we're going to bring to the to the commercial public safety and utilities transportation space. But you know, the Beyond one's a great example of one that um, has has been with us for a few years now. But with the pandemic that we've been having to deal with as a as a, a world and a nation, really allowed us to say, hey, why don't we go give this technology? Which what it does is, it, John, is it is creates an extension of communications between first responders and users who are attached to first responders, but probably aren't carrying a first responder LMR radio. So your consumer device downloads the Beyond app, and now you can have a push to talk communication with uh, first responders. So as COVID has come out into the world and we've had you know, uh, emergency rooms uh, overloaded, We've had field hospitals. We've had all kinds of extensions of users that need to communicate with first responders. Beyond turns their consumer iPhone Android device into a push to talk device, allows them to understand GPS location of first responders and how they can now communicate in a much more robust way. We offered that at no cost for 90 days. We just extended that through the end of August as well. Right. At about 1,200 users that picked it up and started using it in those kinds of, um, you know, uh, 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 areas like field hospitals, et cetera. But also dispatch organizations started to use it to try to accelerate dispatch operations as they were getting overloaded with activity as well. So it's a great story, something we could do uh, to offer uh, our help into the first responder community beyond our, our core technology. It's just been a, it's just been a good story and a good way for us to try to have an impact globally. That's awesome. Yeah, when we first looked at the Beyond app, you know, I've seen a lot of operations where Incident Command, because it's at a separate site, is having a difficulty providing that in-field update, right, to that, that message of each, each operational period. They try to send out a message saying, hey, here's our major priorities. This is what we need to do. And looking at the Beyond app is like finally a, a, a simple way for the Incident Commander, each operational period, to be able to get on there and even pre-record so that people can go on and they say, hey, like, okay, this is what my priority is for today. And then that chain of, you know, almost like that daisy chain that happens where it changes from incident command to, to field asset, you know, that's that's gone now because we're able to, everybody hear the exact same message. And that's really great because, you know, we don't have outside of radios in the field where we're fighting wildfires or whatever, we don't have that capability to pull up our email, right? So. Uh, phenomenal technology. Yeah, you're exactly right. And and what it also does, in, implicit in what you said, is is it allows you to create these groups that you can communicate to very quickly, right? So you don't have to have all the users in the same group. You can create multiple groups. You can communicate out very quickly to the constituency you need to communicate to. Or if you want to bring together groups quickly and then disperse them, you can create those kinds of communications as well. Not to mention the fact that it now brings LMR and LTE together in a converged way. So it's starting to extend the network in a way that makes it very valuable. So you don't have to worry about, are we in the coverage zones that have traditionally been 
the coverage for the the LMR users and moving back and forth within zones and are you on the right channel and some of the perhaps inherent limitations in that tech or the boundaries for that tech. Now we've extended it. FirstNet's AT&T, FirstNet's a big partner of ours. We collaborate uh, heavily on making sure all our devices are certified on FirstNet. And so it's just been a it's just been a good opportunity, I think, for everybody involved. It's unfortunate that it was a disaster that brought it out, but you know sometimes that's that's the kind of thing that starts to ask you to move outside your comfort zone to use technology, and this is a good one. Well, I've always said that uh, emergency managers are weird because we like disaster, <laughs> right? Like when when a big hurricane hits, we're like, oh, let's do it, let's go. Um, I actually developed uh, the federal government's first use case for using drones in a disaster, talking about new technology and emerging that. Yeah. So that happened about three years ago. And now the federal government is, that's the standard operation procedure for large scale disasters, trying to collect data on there. So pretty cool stuff. Let's back up though for a second, because everything you're mentioning is the, the scale is huge. And we know a little bit about scale because, you know, I evacuated 2 million people out of uh, Florida. You guys are stationed in Florida. So you know, when I was on the strike team, we, we would go through these huge disasters and the scale is kind of hard to understand, right? And your scale is different because 130 countries, you're using disasters to develop new technologies. You have this big merger. I mean, you're talking about billions with a B. How do you manage cultures and how do you manage, okay, we have all these engineers who are working on these different projects. Let's come together. Let's develop a new culture for our organization. We had to deal with that problem all the time. Every single disaster, we call it a unified command where everybody with equal authorities comes in there and they have to partner together. That organization never existed before and after the disaster, it will never operate together again. So from that perspective, how do you develop leadership and how do you create that new culture successfully? It's a great question. And honestly, it's one that I don't usually get. Usually everybody wants to talk about technology, right? But I, I yeah. think that, you know, the, the truth is at a certain scale, at a certain level, culture eats strategy for lunch every day. If you don't have the right culture, you can't execute. And high performance organizations have the right culture. Those cultures are collaborative so that there is very high level of collaboration among its leaders and among its, its, uh, its, its constituents as well as uh, a high level of communication. You can't collaborate if you don't communicate. And there needs to be a, fo a focus on action orientation. So it's not just about bringing the teams together and having meetings. It's about bringing the teams together and having the right culture inside the meetings that says, what are the issues and priorities we need to deal with? What are the actions coming out of it? And then going back and revisiting to make sure that those actions got executed against. And, so in your situation with 2 million, that you brought that team together, they, they knew how to execute at a high level, which is why they were successful. And so um, in our case, to your point, we run the state uh, law enforcement system for the state of Florida, and we deal with weather events on a regular basis. In fact, right now, we're just finishing up the, the preparatory season for the weather events that should hit that. Hopefully they won't, but if they do, we'll be ready for it in the fall, right? And, and yeah. Sounds like you're familiar with that. So there's going to be several months of preparations where the teams come together and we go through all the checklists of what are the priorities to make sure that we're ready. Are the shelters ready? Are the generators have the right fuel? You go through all the checklists. Do we need maintenance on any of the towers, on any of the dishes, et cetera? We'll go through that for several months to make sure that we're ready. And then we'll go through a set of checklists that says, if these things happen, how do we respond? And those teams are ready, they collaborate, they communicate, 
And when the weather event hits, which I think the latest one we had in Florida was Michael and Irma before that, that were devastating to the state, Cat 5 type events that hit those, that, that hit landfall. We were ready for it and we were able to, as they wipe out large portions of communications, for example, we're able to get them back online very, very quickly. And, and you're right, we've been commended by, by the state on a regular basis for some of those things. But that's not what it's about. What it's about is making sure that first responders can get out there as quickly as possible and communicate effectively and execute what they need to execute against. And you're right, if you don't have that culture, then you're not gonna be able to execute. And, uh, and at scale, it gets harder, but the principles are the same. It's about collaboration, it's about communication, it's about setting priorities and then executing the actions against those priorities. That's not different. It's just that you have to be more diligent and more focused on the details as you grow larger, because there is opportunities to, to kind of leak outside that if you're not, if you're not thoughtful about it. You were talking about this culture and talking about the process and something you said just made me think, as you as a leader, do you care more about uh, process oriented or are you more results oriented? Because there's those two train of thoughts in leadership. Yeah, you're right. Um, I, I think sometimes what you find in leaders is they're one or the other. And over the years, what I've learned is you have to be a little bit of both at any scale. So you have to make sure that the organization maintains its focus on results. At, at the end of the day, it's a, in the work that I do for a living, John, is it's a results organization. So we have to deliver on whatever we tell the corporation we're going to deliver, right? Whether those are orders, revenue, profitability, that, that's the world we live in. Um, and so, and that really doesn't change if you think about, you know, the pandemic that we've been dealing with um, over the last four or five months, I guess, you know, making sure that the hospitals are ready, making sure that they've got the right equipment, the personal protective equipment, et cetera. There, there's an action bias and a results orientation that's inherent in that. But you also have to understand that there's a process that goes behind it. And as a leader, you've got to make sure that you're driving the organization to have high quality processes that are disciplined and you can execute against. And as a leader, if you're not good at that, John, then you have to make sure you've got a team that is good at it and that can execute against it. So it's also about understanding your strengths and weaknesses as a, as a leader and making sure that you execute strong, your strengths and, and you, you make sure that the team is capable of execution against where you may or may not be weak. It, or, and so, so it's important for leaders to, to be humble, to be, uh, have a self-awareness of what they're good at and what they need help with. Um, and if you, if you bring those things together in a good way, then you'll, you'll, you'll slowly create that high performance culture we talked about. Yeah, especially with uh, my side of the house and emergency management, hearing an organization whose headquarters in Florida Reducing that level of stress from my, my end is when I hear organizations saying, hey, we're, we're taking X, Y, and Z. We're taking all these precautions to make sure that, hey, if, if something big hits, our towers are up and running, we have the generators, we have everything going on, PPE for you know, COVID, whatever. And so you're developing not just a, a new culture for L3 Harris, you're also developing pandemic culture. Uh, there's gonna be this new normal of how many people can telework, what operations can can be performed separately? How do you communicate? I mean, your scope of, of scale is, is, again, it's just, it's so big to think about. It's almost exciting because there's a lot of comparisons. You're talking about Irma. I was deployed to Hurricane Harvey as part of the National Strike Team. And my counterparts in Irma did a phenomenal job, but the counterparts that went to Maria, they were really new. 
they were inexperienced. They they were just, their tempo was just slow, and uh, unfortunately, the entire team was let go out of the national strike team because they just could not keep up with that tempo, and so it shows that even that before you get to the field or before you get to that that critical mass moment, you have to have a great culture. You have to have you know great training, great preparation in place, and you just hit on all those. Yeah, I think you bring up two things. The first one's pace. You're right. How do you keep the right pace? And that's really a sense of urgency in what you're trying to execute against. And if you understand the severity of whatever the issue is, then you can set the right set of the right urgency and the right pace in order to execute against. I think the second one is you're right. If you've ever executed against it, there always has to be that first time that a team executes inside of a crisis situation, right? For us at L3 Harris, and then also the business I run specifically on the professional communications uh, side of the house, is that preparedness and that understanding of how to work remotely. When when we hit the pandemic and we started to look at okay, we've got all these the, these lockdowns that are happening now at the municipal levels, at the state levels, and how do we operate within that? We were considered a critical business and so critical infrastructure, and so we stayed open, but. We had to protect our employees, there's no question. And so now how do you do that? Well, our culture, we have a lot of remote work just on the way that we execute programs across the country, across the globe, how we sell into our customer base. And so we had a a relatively dispersed employee base. And so for us to begin to execute against um, those kinds of requirements was not something that was new to us. And so we understood how to come together, how to collaborate, how to communicate and then how to set the priorities to execute at the right pace, which is the point you made earlier, and I think a really good one. Um, that's not always, you're right, that's not always the same. A lot of the municipalities, a lot of our customers, even the utilities, weren't necessarily ready for that, and they didn't have some of the tools and capabilities. You know, some some didn't have laptops to be able to take home and say, okay, now I'm gonna work from home, right? So those, those technologies uh, weren't necessarily readily available for them, and they had to bring themselves up to speed. And in a crisis, probably not where you want to want to bring yourself up to speed right there's always that first one but you got to have a good mix on the team right so they got some of the veterans and some of the the less experienced uh, uh, team members that can start to help them understand what the pace is and how they need to get up to speed quickly but you, you've raised the right points you need to be ready for all that so you have we've talked about covid we've talked a little bit about the beyond app we've talked about this culture I've heard that L3 Harris has like a hurricane logistics team that's ready for natural disasters. What do you guys do there? Because, you know, when something big hits, it sounds like you guys are able just to deploy very quickly and be able to provide assets to those first responders. Do you have any use cases where you can talk about that? Yeah. So for us, it's a normal part of operations. It's not necessarily something that happens differently than what we do on a regular basis. So let's use Florida because there's a lot of good weather examples there we just talked about, right? There's always good weather examples in Florida. Yeah, there is, right? So everybody thinks it's just the, it's just the heat. You know, it's, it's, not, it's a lot of challenges. But, um, but we have, we have a, a center that manages that network for the state of Florida, and that center is operational 24-7, monitoring the network and making sure that it's off and maintaining the network on a, on a regular basis. When the hurricane season begins, we, we go into activating what we call emergency operations. And so we're right now, May through May and June are the pre-preparation uh, months where we go through this, the, the prep process to make sure the system is ready. So like I mentioned earlier, generators are fueled, generators have been tested, backup has been tested to make sure it's operational and cuts over properly. 
we've maintained the towers, everything's operational on the on the dishes. We've checked backup microwave links on the backup. We go through all that checklist of a process. And then as we head into, we communicate with the state and their emergency operations. And as we head into the, the, the severe weather season, we're prepared to activate emergency operations at the first sign of weather and when it's going to hit landfall. So in the case of Michael, let's say, it had been monitored while it was out in the ocean. We were monitoring where it could hit and we made sure we were ready in any of those locations. It veered and I think you know it ended up hitting down in the Keys. We were ready for that. And, and when it hit, we, actually L3 Harris, we were the first ones with crews back into those areas when it was safe to do that, to get the system back up and running and uh, offload some of those communications into their different areas of the system so, so first responders could go back out and begin the recovery process. And so it's, it's not something that happens when an emergency happens, John. It, it, it's something you prepare for and then you activate and then you start to execute. So I hope that made sense. It does make sense. And I think any uh, emergency manager listening to this in Florida, their anxiety is just going down and down as they, they hear other partners are, okay, somebody else is thinking about this. That's really great. So let's take that preparation perspective because L3 Harris has implemented the Beyond app already in, in several communities. And so I have a two-part question. We're going to be talking about maybe some of those examples that Beyond uh, has been used. But the question that keeps on coming into my mind, and I'm sure other people has, has had it too, L3 Harris is a huge company and they're really focused on DOD, the Department of Defense. Why is it important for uh, L3 Harris to say, hey, we're bringing in all this revenue from DOD. We're able to help out the country uh, on this level. Why focus on the Beyond app? Why is that important for you as well? Sure. There's a couple answers there. The first one is that L3 Harris Corporation, about 70, 75% of the revenues do come from federal government, including a good portion of the revenue for the business that I run comes from the federal government. However, uh, I'm one of a couple of, of sectors, right? We've got four segments, large segments that are in the four to 5 billion range. And we've got 19 sectors and 64 divisions that kind of gives you the makeup of the business. Um, I'm one of the 19, we're one of the 19 sectors that um, um, in the business and specifically we serve critical communications. The other businesses in that sector serve critical communications. It's called communication solutions. They serve as critical comms for the federal government. The underlying technology, John, is the same, right? The, the communications devices, if you want the terminals, the radio, the portable radios, the mobile radio, that's the same. And so the, the war fighters that are using long range, highly sophisticated communications, that's the same technology that we're bringing to public safety and utilities in the commercial segment. So from our perspective, it makes sense to bring those communications together. Those are the traditional LMR communications that um, have historically been part of the Department of Defense, as well as in the commercial sector, whether it's public safety, utilities, even mass transportation, New York subway systems, San Francisco subway systems, those are our customers. That communication is not different. What's evolving over the last five to 10 years and is starting to accelerate as part of the challenges we talked about earlier with COVID is the convergence of the historical land mobile radio communications and long-term evolution LTE communications. Those are starting to converge because the LTE has gotten better coverage areas than they have historically, right? The cell phones aren't dropping out as much as they used to. 
and they can carry data. And so both sets of these users, whether they're in our military or whether they're in our public safety, managing utility outages, managing transportation underground, they're using data more and more. And the LTE systems are, are better for carrying large amounts of data, as we know as consumers with our iPhones, as well as having the kinds of coverages and the kinds of resiliency to carry that data. And so as those technologies converge, the Beyond app begins to exist to bridge the communications and some of the data needs of those two constituencies, those two user groups, in a way that makes it easy to use. Because I think if we've learned anything in the internet age, which we've lived through its beginning and its and as it continues to emerge, is that it's got to be easy or you're not going to use it. Right? I mean, if the iPhones have taught us anything and the Android devices have taught us anything, and, and even internet web pages. I mean, years ago, we used to talk about, well, if it doesn't load in eight seconds, you're not going to use it. The user's going to go off to something else. Eight seconds is, I mean, that's that's 110 human years now for the internet. If it doesn't load immediately, we're not interested yeah. Right. We're calling Verizon or AT&T or Sprint, whoever your Internet carrier is and saying, hey, look, I need I need 500 meg of upload download now because I, I can't get these loads fast enough. So that's what we did. The underlying tech is the same. We focused on converged tech that helps the LMR users and the LTE users and those con communities connect quickly and easily. And that's why we think the Beyond app is the app that starts to take LMR into the LTE evolution, as well as starts to help deliver data back and forth between those communities, right? So, yeah, I think that I think that answers it really well. So, what are those some of those communities that are using those? I mean, let's think of it like that first responder perspective. Okay, I'm hearing this guy say this amazing things. Okay, it can help out with uh, hospitals. It can help out first responders. Basically, your answer, if you're going to boil it down, is why not? Right. We're helping out the military. It's the same communication to help out first responders. If, if we have the ability, let's do it. Let's let's help out, which is pretty smart mission. What are those, some of those communities that are using it? And so we can give some of those use cases. Yeah, absolutely. You know, real quickly, a couple that we saw um, emerge very, very quickly were hospital emergency rooms and um, field hospitals that were set up in the major municipalities where they, the, the hospitals were overloaded and they had to get closer to some of the, um, some of the users or, or some of the patients that were, were the early patients, if you will, or early, early inflicted, maybe is a better way to say it, with, with COVID-19. And so they're not LMR users. And traditionally, you'll have an emergency response. They'll bring them into the hospital and they'll be communicating along the way. Maybe the hospital has some LMR terminals uh, that, they, that they may have, a few users but they don't have it in any significant scaled way. And so very quickly, we saw the hospitals beginning to absorb the technology down because you can download the app from the app store. We'll turn you on very quickly through, our, we, through the promotion that we tried to push out as quickly as possible. And by the way, we did that with, in collaboration with the American Hospital Association, because if we started to try to promote that into the hospitals themselves, they just look at us as a vendor that's trying to promote like everybody else. And we said, look, that's not gonna work. So we collaborated with the, the American Hospital Association to say, look, can you communicate with them and tell them that we don't want anything from them, we're just trying to help. And so that allowed us to proliferate more quickly. And the hospitals and the field hospitals began to download it onto the, onto the mobile devices, either your iPhone or Android device, and very quickly created a push to talk type of capability on those mobile devices. So they could now talk to either through groups or larger 
um, communications to the first responders that were coming in. And they could talk to each other very quickly. So they didn't have to make a cell phone call. They could just create a group, let's say in the field hospital or in the emergency room that they could talk to very quickly with their phone. So they pulled the phone out of the pocket or out of the holster, you know, touched the button and very quickly had push to talk capability throughout the facility that they were located in. Those were some of the early uses. What we also saw was as you started to see work from home, dispatch wasn't necessarily going into dispatch centers. And so we had a couple of real innovative cases where they started to actually use it on the desktop as well as on the mobile device to begin to do remote dispatch. So kind of a work from home agent. Work from home agents have been around, as you know, for a long, long time, right? But dispatch centers haven't necessarily followed. They've gone into dispatch. As dispatch has become more than dispatch, it's 911, et cetera, they've had more responsibilities. They've stayed inside that dispatch function. This has allowed them to commute, to go home and get that work from home. Those were some more early uh, innovative uses that we saw. And then in the federal government, we saw some uptake there too, right? So where you had air squadrons on the National Guard, where they were not able to necessarily utilize the LMR, the, the traditional form factor for the radio, um, they were able to quickly bring those users up to speed, didn't have to necessarily deploy a radio to, to them. They could just say, hey, download the app from the app store and we can quickly now start to communicate as we organize ourselves in response to this crisis. So those were some examples of some things we saw really early on and some innovations that came um, from organizations beginning to organize themselves like you, you and I talked about, collaborate, communicate very quickly and, and that app helped it. And it starts to it starts to bridge that that LMR uh, LTE convergence as well as offer a little bit more data because you can see where the where the users were on the on the mapping uh, portion of the apps. For sure. So if you're an emergency manager, whether it's at a hospital or you're a chief and you're you're hearing somebody say, hey, you don't want to order a ton more radios because it's not part of your culture. It's not part of your, not part of your budget. Yeah, your budget. You can't procure them fast, right? I mean, you know this from the work you've done. It, it's municipalities, and I don't mean it negatively, it's fact. They're not, they're, their procurement processes are not built for speed. Absolutely. You can yeah. download this very quickly, especially with the promotion we had that said, look, it's, not, it's no cost, just, just contact us and we'll turn it on. We, you said something else too that was uh, really critical. I mean, we say you never want to hand out your business card in a disaster, right? That's from emergency manager to emergency manager because we really want to make sure that they're, they're capable. I'm sure it's a hundred times stronger with a vendor. Uh, I do, as part of my company, disaster planning, the last thing I want to do, it's like, it feels so cringy, like to call somebody and say, hey, you need a drone for your disaster. You're like, dude, I don't want to talk to you right now. Like I'm, res I'm responding to a hurricane. Right. So if you're able to provide something for free, 90 days, communicate with them. I think that's great that you worked with the, you know, the American Hospital Association to, to develop that, to make sure that everybody was on board, that they could implement easily. Uh, I think that's really great. So that, that brings me down to one of my last questions. But before I get to that, you you were in Michigan, right? Yeah. You, are you a Wolverine fan? I am a University of Michigan alum. Oh, that hurts me so much. <laughs> okay. You tell me you graduated from Michigan State? No, I'm from Ohio. Yeah, that's cool down south, I guess. Yeah, the team up north. Hey, it's okay. You might be wildly successful, but my team has won the last 20 years in a row. <laughs> so. hey, you know, I appreciate you reminding me of that, John. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Uh, <laughs> we did an episode uh, uh, three weeks ago, I think, three or four weeks ago, where we talked about the, the dam failures. Did, were, did you know anybody that was impacted by those dams, or were you outside that area? I, I did not. No, that was a little bit north of where I grew up in southeastern Michigan. That was a little bit north of there. 
there. Um, you know, it's an unfortunate situation. Hopefully they get that resolved. I mean, certainly, you know, it's a state I grew up in, so born and raised in. So, I mean, you don't ever want to see those kinds of catastrophes. And certainly they didn't need it at that time dealing with COVID. And, yeah. um, but, uh, but, you know, it sounds like they're slowly starting to respond and figure figure out what needs to happen there to improve that situation. Well, good. I mean, I'm glad that you didn't really know anybody's impact. And then it sounds like they really got it under control. Yeah, of course. So, okay, last question. Uh, I have put out so many contracts. Uh, I did the geospatial intelligence when I was on the strike team. I was uh, did emergency operations in D.C. And I have put out contract after contract after contract. And now that I have switched over to the private side, I'm starting to learn more about how does that work. It's a, it's a beast, right? If you were going to provide some advice to an emergency manager or to somebody, a contracting officer who is putting out these contracts as you're going through them and you're trying to work through that process, what would make your life not just easier because it should be a little difficult, right? We don't want everybody to, you know, to apply if they don't have the, the right credentials, but what would that make that process better for you on your end? Yeah, you know, I think it's a great question and thank you for asking. I would probably expand the dialogue just a little bit to say the contracting process in, in the public space, public sector is, is part of a larger, longer process of procurement. And procurement in public sector uh, is, when I, when I say a long time, on our shorter, smaller deals, they're six months to award and then several months after that to contract. On a larger implementation of an LMR system across a large municipality or a state, John, it can be up to about, I think, the average sales cycle from the time that we're advised that a, a procurement is going to begin um, and then they issue the RFQ and then they make the award. That can be about two years on average. And then contracting can be another six months. So that's a very long process that really needs to be looked at in thoughtfully and innovated in some way to accelerate it. If you think about all the tech that we're talking about, you have technology now that one year right, of for software is about 110 human years, right? I mean, right. we download upgrades to our iPhones or Android devices monthly. They're available if you want them, right? And so if you think about your contract and you go through, you, you procure and you go through a contracting process, the version that you're going to deploy, I mean, it could be two, three years old when you deploy because that's the version you bought. There may be some upgrades along the way, right? And so that whole process really needs some innovation and some speed. It's tied to the municipalities, which I appreciate, which means that it has multiple levels of approvals and then it's got to get budgeted and then, and then they have to go get approved at the council level, et cetera. That would help the contracting manager, the emergency response manager a lot if they could innovate that entire process to make it faster and more efficient. Then the more specific answer to your question around contracting is, that what would help is if rather than have to issue a new contract, issue a baseline contract that you're comfortable with the terms and conditions, and then you can attend with statement of work and pricing that is based on a standard that you've already set. So that can be done quickly and can then you can execute, especially when you're in a crisis situation. Right? It's usually the crisis that then drives the innovation. It should be a process of innovation that happens all the time. And, and unfortunately, sometimes the crisis drives the innovation and drives the speed. And, and in some situations, it could be too late, especially if you look at 
beyond. If we hadn't offered beyond at no cost, John, I don't think anybody would have been able to contract for it because it would have taken too long to go get budget approval, contracting with us, et cetera. We said, look, we'll just turn it on for you. Just tell us you want it, download it, we'll turn it on. And, and uh, I hope that answers the question. It does. In fact, it raises some other questions. Uh, I mean, talk, talk about not being able to keep up with technology. Two to three years behind technology. I can't even imagine that uh, at, at this point. Uh, it makes so much sense. The computers I always used in the federal government, they were so old and so slow. And they were like the, you know, the most current approved. And that was, you know, several years ago. Dealing with that now and, and, and saying, hey, like we need to figure out a, a process that can um, validate an organization saying, hey, you do have a good product, but to move that through faster. Bureaucracy does have a place in government because it does help cut down fraud a little bit. But two years, I mean, that's just, that's just two years too much, right? So, I mean, you bring up some excellent points there. Thank you so much for coming on the show, for providing those insights. If you liked uh, Nino's perspective, if you want to give us that five-star rating and subscribe, we would love to hear that. And if you want to message us, that info at DobermanEMG.com. Again, that's info at DobermanEMG.com.